0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, whether you have your Bibles in print, whether you have them on your phone, we encourage you to have them in front of you as we go through this book. As you know, this book was written to those who are Jewish believers. They have come from a long tradition of Judaism, and now they've trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God. So they're working through a lot of stuff in their lives. Just like when we come to Christ, we work through stuff in our life as well. The one thing the writer has told these individuals is this, that Jesus is absolutely supreme. You've come to know Jesus. God sent his son. He loves you so much. He sent his son to die for us on a cross. And you've come to know Jesus, who is supreme overall. He is greater than Uh, the best of Judaism. He is greater than the old covenant. He's greater than the old system. He's greater than the sacrifices. He's greater than the great prophet uh, Moses. He's greater than the high priest. In fact, he is our great high priest. And so the writer has been uh, telling the, the readers all the way through that Jesus is absolutely supreme. Now, as we continue our study, we want to start today in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, And we want to see some things today that not only deal with us individually, but also deal with us as a community. So let's start uh, going through our passage here. The word starts with, the verse starts with the word, therefore. And as you know, anytime we see the word, therefore, we have to stop. Because what's going to be said is what's based on what has been said. So we need to go back and think. Last time, we talked about Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And we saw five things in that passage. One, we saw that we need to be encouraged by those who finish the race strong. The writer had in chapter 11 gave us a whole list of individuals who demonstrated faith, what it looks like to live by faith. They finished strong, and that should encourage us. But it's not just those in in Hebrews 11. There are people in our life we know. Loved ones who live their life well for Christ and they die well for Christ. That is encouraging to us because we know that they close their eyes in death and open their eyes to see their Savior. That encourages us. The second thing the writer says as he encourages us to to run the race well was to drop the baggage, anything that weighs us down. we got to get rid of it. To deal with the clinging sin, those temptations that keep tripping us up. To keep our focus on Christ because it's so easy to get distracted and to embrace God's training program. Look at chapter 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline, there's two types of disciplines in Scripture. We talked last time, punitive, and then there's instructive discipline, like a training discipline. This is the training discipline. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, based on those things, the writer says, I have some things for you to accomplish. The things we're going to look at today certainly deal with us individually. There are things that we need <clears throat> to do, that we need to deal with in our life. Scripture always is, C- scripture always is personal, right? This passage also deals with us as a community. It instructs us as a community. And I'd like to think about the application today in, in today's passage regarding that. How does this impact us as a community? And I'd like to see from our passage today some things that should be going on in a healthy church. Now, we want a healthy church. Whatever our campus, wherever we are, spread around this region, or even in Florida, we want to make sure we have a group that is healthy. So what are those things that we should see in a healthy church. We're told in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 to 25 we're to spur one another on, we're to stir up one another. And so we know the importance of living in community. You can't live the Christian life alone. Christian life is always lived in community. And what does it look like to do that? Chapter 12 verses 12 and 13. Let's work through this. Let me just start with verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. First thing we see about a healthy community is that it needs to provide healing. A healthy community provides healing. Look at this verse again. Therefore, uh, uh, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weakened knees. Uh, the word drooping means hands hanging to the side that can't hold anything or can't do anything. The word weak means. Paralyzed. So here we have someone who is physically and spiritually worn out. You know of anyone like that? Maybe you say, yeah, I know of someone like that. That's where the church steps in. See, if you're standing there with your hands to your side and you can't lift them up and your knees are paralyzed, then it takes other people stepping around you. Yeah. To help you lift your hands, to get you back on track, to do the things God's calling you to do. That's where the church comes in. That's the beauty of the church. Sometimes our hands are hanging like that. We need help. Other times, we're the ones who step in. Now, sometimes that's just a note of encouragement. Sometimes it's a phone call to say, I am praying for you. Sometimes it's a coffee with someone or a dinner with someone. To say, I, I love you and I care for you. And I know you're going through a tough time. and I can't fix everything going on in your life. See, sometimes we, we think we need to fix everything, right? We can't fix anybody. I can't fix the stuff going on in your life. But I want you to know, you got someone who will walk with you. You have someone who will pray with you. You have someone who will help you out. I will be with you during this time. That's what the community is about. And so when you see someone, you know me, you may know of someone in your life right now. That means you have to get out of your friend group, and you have to go to that person, and you have to encourage them and help them. The Christian life cannot be lived alone. That's true, right? But it shouldn't have to be lived alone. In community, man, we we should be gravitating to those who need our help. Look at the second part of this, verse 13. Lift up the drooping hands, strengthen the weights, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not put out of joint, but rather be healed. Make straight paths. Now, this is interesting because the writer here is thinking about in the olden days, in the ancient days, there were these wheel paths for tracks. You can see these. So, if you had a, if you had a, a, a buggy, if you had, uh, you know, a cart. Uh, you would get it in those wheel tracks and a donkey would pull it or maybe you would pull it or horses would pull it or whatever and you would stay in those tracks. And so it was important that those tracks be cleared. It was important that rocks and stuff debris hadn't gotten in those tracks because if if, if you if, if a rock was in the track and you're headed down with your cart and you're going a pretty good speed, it's going to hit the rock, rock. It's going to bump out and it's going to be put out of place. It's going to be put out of joint. It's going to move off the track. And so the writer saying here, we have a responsibility to others to make sure that they stay in the cart path, that they stay in uh, those tracks. And we need to clear the obstacles in front of them so that we make a straight path for them. Now, there are a lot of ways we can clear obstacles, right? But let me just say one. One obstacle that we need to clear for other people is this. We need to clear bad theology. We need to make sure we understand what we believe so that we can encourage others to believe the truths of God's Word. I'm reading a book called Bad Religion, How We Became a Nation of Heretics. And the thesis of this book, written by a New York Times columnist, the thesis of this book is, here we are in the United States, and we've got some heresies floating around. And we've always had heresies floating around. The founding fathers, some of them were deists. They didn't believe in the personal God. And we see throughout our history, all these transcendental meditation. Uh, We've had uh, Mormonism. Uh, We've had New Age movement. We've got prosperity theology. We've always had uh, heresies going on. But the writer argues that the danger now is the Orthodox church is too weak to push back because we don't know what we believe. When you don't believe something, you don't know what you believe. You can't live out what you don't know. In another study by LifeWay Research, they did a study of evangelicals like us, right? Those who believe the Bible to be the final authority for life and living. Those who desire to to express, to share the message of Jesus Christ. Those who, who believe Jesus is the only way of salvation. And here's what they found. Of those people... We're not talking about someone on the street. We're talking about those who hold the Bible to be true. Evangelism is what is, is we should be sharing this message. And Jesus is the only way to God. Seventy percent, 70 percent said that Jesus was the first being God created. Now, by the way, that is a heresy known as Arianism that was debunked in 325 A.D. But old heresies come back, don't they? Holy Spirit, 56% said the Holy Spirit is a divine force but not a personal being. 28%, the Holy Spirit is not equal to God, the Father, or Jesus. 56%. 50% or 28%, 50% said God accepts the worship of all religions. Guys, that's us. And so we have to know what we believe, right? That's now. That is an obstacle, believing that is an obstacle in the wheel track. And if others believe that or if we're sharing that, we're putting debris in the wheel tracks and we're going to get them out of joint. This writer uh, talks about in one of his chapters uh, the Gospel of Judas. The The National Geographic found the Gospel of Judas and they said, man, this is the real deal. Well... The gospel of Judas uh, didn't make Jesus look so good. It made, made Judas look good, but not Jesus. And so, of course, they loved to share. They spent millions of dollars uh, buying uh, the book. They, uh, they published it. It became a, a bestseller. They did a documentary on it. And so some scholars started saying, there's no way this could be written by Judas. Absolutely no way. It's written like 100 years or more after he even lived And and the things that people were saying in the book, their translations were totally off, except by this time it was a bestseller. But here's what the writer says. Every argument about Christianity is at bottom an argument about the character of Christ himself, and every interpretation of the Christian faith begins with an answer to the question Jesus posed to his disciples, who do you say I am? And then here's what he says. Listen to this. American public, disillusioned with traditional Christianity, but they are still religious enough to be eager for alternate portrayals of Jesus. Isn't that true? There's something in the heart, right, that God put there. Eternity set in the heart. An emptiness, striving for something. Even an alternative portrayal of Jesus. And so it's so critical for us to get the obstacles out of the way. It's so critical that we are those who demonstrate to a watching world what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. So we have the opportunity to tell them how you follow Jesus. And we parents, you've got to do this with your kids. You've got to be able to look your kids in the eyes and say, here's what I believe and here's why I believe it. This is a God that has changed my life. And here's what the Bible says about the foundational things of the Christian life. You cannot say, go talk to your Christian school teacher. Oh, go talk to a pastor at the church. Oh, I got an idea. Go talk to the youth group leader. Man, that is a cop-out you got to be able. When those kids that God gave to you, your gifts to you, they come and ask you, who's Jesus? Are you able to tell them, here's exactly who he is. Here's why I have given my life to him. And here's why we serve him in this household. We have to be able to promote healing Taking away the obstacles so that people understand what it really looks like to follow hard after Jesus. Number two, healthy community promotes peace. Look at uh, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace. By the way, check out scripture. Our relationship with God is based on peace, right? Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And since we have peace with God, that's the basis, we have peace that lives within us. Or should, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 7, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We as believers should be those who share a calmness, not a fear, a peace, not an intrepidation. We should be those who are not troubled and afraid. By the way, we do that when our source is not Fox News, but God's Word. Fox News makes money and keeps our attention by telling us everything's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Breaking news. Here's the breaking news. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I give peace to you. So we have peace as as a foundation. We have peace in our hearts. And then we need to be spreaders of peace. Psalm uh, 34, 14, seek peace and pursue it. Mark 9, 50, be at peace with one another. Romans 12, I love this one. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peace- peaceably with everyone. Not just those in your family, not those in the church, but with everyone. So here's the deal. If there is someone in your life, you know that they're, you're not living with peace, you got to deal with it. You got to meet with them. You got to write them a letter. You got to deal with it. Because scripture says if we're serious about following what God says, right, we're those who believe the Bible's authority. And so when it says something, we need to do it. If possible, as, long, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, what note are you going to write this week? What phone call are you going to write this week? What are you going to do? Maybe it's after church talking with someone. We are not those who spread chaos, but the writer said, man, we're those, we're those who, who spread peace, strive for peace, work at it, it's hard work, work for peace, for, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And what's he talking about there? The holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Two things here. The word holiness, first of all, is the word uh, the Greek word uh, agiazo, and, and it, sometimes it's translated as sanctification. And when it's in the noun form, it means holy ones, and that's translated a lot of times saints. We are holy ones. We are saints. We have been set apart for God. We have been made holy by what Jesus has done. And so that being made holy comes when we trust in Jesus at the cross, and that's called positional sanctification. That's one time for all time we are made holy by God. Nothing can ever change that. Now we start living the Christian life, and, you know, there's some ups and downs, and there's some challenges. Finally, we die, and we're in heaven. This process right here is called progressive sanctification or spiritual growth. And so the writer is saying here, if you're not demonstrating progressive sanctification, then you can only conclude you don't have positional sanctification. (laughs) If there's no water at the, at the beginning, at the source of the stream, the stream's gonna be dry. And if you see a stream that's dry, what, what can you conclude? Must not be any water at the source. We need to be living, so part of living life as of holiness is living peace with everyone. Number three, healthy community extends forgiveness. Look at chapter. Uh, 12 verse 15, see to it, see to it, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now, we're not to have bitterness in our hearts, that's for certain, we see that in other passages, but here it says, community, you see to it, you make sure as you interact with other people, you deal with it. When you see someone spreading bitterness, which, by the way, defiles many others, it impacts other people, it infects other people, it, it corrupts them, it, it, it causes them to be tainted, contaminated. When you see that happening, you got to step in and do something about it. You have to step in and say, look, I love you, and I care for you. We're on the same team, Right? But what you are doing is not healthy for the team. And I'm not doing that as being a judge because I got those temptations as well. But I need you, you need to prayerfully determine if what you're saying is really building up the body or tearing it down. You got to determine that. Because when you do it, not just about you anymore. You contaminate other people. Now let's get personal. If you've got bitterness in your heart, man, you've got to get rid of that. It will eat you alive from the inside out. I don't know the cause of your bitterness. I don't know the issues. I don't know who hurt you. But it eats you alive. It puts you off track. It stymies your spiritual growth damages your walk with Christ, and it hurts other people. So you got to deal with that, any bitterness in your heart. Number four, a healthy community addresses sin. Look at verses 16 and 17. See to it, again, that uh, command is carried down. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy that means corrupt or worldly, like Esau, who sold his birthright, his most valued possession, he sold it for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The challenge there is, if there is sexual immorality around you, you need to deal with it. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy, um, uh, impulsive like Esau, who had his birthright. Remember the story: came in from the field, Jacob had cooked a pot of stew, and Esau, this impulsive person, said, eh, "I am famished. Give me some stew." And Jacob said, "Well, give me your birthright. I'll give you some stew." And remember what he said: "Well, who cares about my birthright? I'm going to die anyway. I'm so hungry. I'm going to die." He was probably a little dramatic, too, right? I'm going to die. I need that stew. He gave up the thing that mattered most for a pot of stew. Man, some of you are getting ready to give up your family for an affair. Some of you impulsively are damaging your marriage because of pornography. You're giving up what matters most for you, most to you. And in the body of Christ, we, we address that, right? We step around each other. We encourage each other. That's what we do in life groups. That's what we do in huddle groups. That's why you can't live the Christian life alone. None of us are strong enough to live the Christian life alone. And so we come around each other. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, I think, is one of the most powerful and yet neglected passages in Scripture. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says this, Brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, not perfect, but you who are spiritual, you're in the community, you should restore him with the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens so and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, if you know someone right now who's off the track, if you know someone right now who is away from the Lord, if you know someone right now who's involved in something they shouldn't be involved in, tag, you are it. You can't pass it off to anybody else because the best thing would be to just to handle it right there, right? Address that person one-on-one. The worst thing you can do is let it go. I mean, the very worst thing we can do as believers is to let it go. We have to be those who are willing to get involved in a, in, in in others' lives. We love talking about community, right? It's messy. It's messy. And we don't like messes. So I love our home. I love the way Lori decorates it. I love the warmth of it. Man, there's no place I'd rather be. And there's sometimes when Lori says, hey, my sink's plugged up. You need to fix it. I hate it when she says that. (laughs) And I got to go crawl under that thing and I got to do that p-trap deal, and I got to get all that cleaned out. It is messy. When you're in community, when you're in a home, when you're in a relationship, it gets messy. But you got to be willing to deal with the messes. You got to be willing to get involved in other people's lives. So you got to ask yourself a question: Am I? Am I even? Am I even? Uh, clicked into community enough where if I was making a mess, someone would see it and deal with it. And if you say I don't think I am, then that's a that's a danger sign right there. And would you say I'm clicked into community enough? I have a relationship enough where if someone in my network, the people that God put in my life, if I saw them stepping out of line, I would have a relationship with them enough to say, you know what? I love you too much to let you go down that track. Your, your, your wheels are out of the wheel track. And that's what community is. It's not, just, it's not just coming to church and singing songs. That's great. But this thing about community is interactive. It's healthy community, that is. Now, why is it so important to be involved in each other's lives? The writer tells us that beginning in verse 18. And in verse 18 through 23, or 18 through 21, the writer starts talking about the, uh, the, the, something that the, the, the Jewish readers would know about, the Old Testament, Mount Sinai, when the law was given, the quaking of the, of the mountain, uh, all the things going on, uh, God's voice coming down, the people terrified of God's voice. And then in contrast to all that, He says in verse 22, but we don't live there anymore. But you've come to Mount Zion, this community of believers, to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's the community you live in the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. Remember, Abel was killed by Cain. His blood cries out for vengeance. But Jesus' blood doesn't cry out for vengeance. Jesus' blood cries out for peace, the peace he makes for us with God by his death on the cross. And then the writer tells us two things that we need to do to make sure we are a person who can be healthy enough to invest in and be a part of a healthy community. Look at verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Man, we are in a community, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against this you are in God's family and will forever be nothing can take you out of his family thank God for being in a community that cannot be shaken Now there are a lot of ways we can thank God right we can express in song we can sing we can do those things they're fantastic but the best way the bottom line way to demonstrate our thanksgiving is in one word obedience if we are going to be a truly thankful person, we are a person who obeys. It's one thing to come in and sing songs and raise our hands and do it. Those are beautiful things, right? But if we walk out of here after raising our hands singing and we disobey the Lord we're singing about and singing to, see, we got a mismatch going on. We have to be those whose singing matches our life. We have to be those who sing with our lives and demonstrate with our lives. Not only Thanksgiving, but the writer here says a life of worship. Therefore, let us be grateful for, for receiving the kingdom that it cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That word worship, by the way, also is translated uh, a lot in the New Testament by the word service. So let us live a life of obedience And let us live a life of service. Let us demonstrate to God how much we love him. Let us demonstrate to our Savior how much we love him by serving him with a reverence and awe. There's a respect there. There's an awe of who he is. Yeah, we can call him Abba, Father. And he's also a consuming fire. And one of these days, 1 Corinthians 3 says he's going to judge our Works. First Corinthians 3, I don't have time to turn there. But at the end of the day, the writer talks about God's consuming fire and all the works we've done. And the writer says, Paul says, some are going to build with 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 precious metals and stones, and some are going to build with wood, hay, and stubble. That's how they build their lives. And God the consuming fire will come, and the stones and the metals, those things will last, but the consuming but it will consume the wood and the hay and the stubble. And the writer says, you'll still be saved because you're a believer, right? But, but just as a person barely making it out of the fire. That's not how we want to live our Christian life. We want to be those who build the things that really count. We want to be those who live with a reverence and an awe. Now, what does that look like? Let me share a story with you. This is a story from Christianity Today. I never became straight. Perhaps that was never God's goal. This is written by Rachel Gilson. Uh, She's gay. And she talked about the first part of her life, challenging time. And her dad left early on. And she tells the story that there was no, her, her mom was busy doing other stuff and there was really no discipline in her home and she said that she remembers uh, working with her mom, cutting out pictures from a um, pornographic magazine for her mom. Her mom was uh, doing a a bachelorette party for someone, and she was helping her cut out these pictures. When she was in high school, she realized she had an attraction to the same sex, to women. And she had a girlfriend in high school. She talks about all that. She's very smart. She went to uh, Yale, and she studied uh, there. And when she got in college, uh, she was studying philosophy and she started thinking about who she was and and she started thinking about God. Really God caused her to start thinking about him, right? And she couldn't figure it out. She couldn't she couldn't she couldn't put it together. If here's a God, if there is a God and and here's what he says and here's how I'm feeling, then he could never love me because of of my feelings. His his, his word doesn't match up to to what I do. And so she saw another lesbian couple on campus, and one was studying to be a, a minister. Go figure. And so she talked to them, and they said, oh, here's a packet. This explains it all. And so they gave her, she, she read the packet, and she said, okay, this makes sense. Now I can have this lifestyle and, and follow God as, as well. And then she said she went and actually looked at the Scriptures in the Bible, and they were taken out of context. They didn't make any sense. She said she threw the packet down in disgust. And then she was in a a room of a girl, and there was a book there, uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. So she stole it, put it in her purse, and she read it, and God started speaking to her. And she started thinking, how could this God love me? I mean, I stole the book to begin with. (laughs) and the life I'm living, listen to what she says. She said, thus, I had to learn my first lesson of the Christian life, how to obey before I understood. Think about that. She said, my whole life had taught me to to master a concept before I could assent to it. How could I possibly agree to something so costly without grasping it to the end? And then she said, It came down to trust. I knew Jesus was worthy of trust because he had made a greater sacrifice. He had left the bliss, the comfort, the joy of loving and being loved to live a sorrowful life on earth. He took the pain and the shame of a criminal's death and suffered the Father's rejection. Also, I could be welcomed. Who who could be more deserving of trust? Listen to what she says. The obedience of faith only works when it's rooted in a person, not a rule. That's why legalism is deadly. Imposed on its own, a rule invites us to set in judgment, weighing its reasonableness but a rule flowing from relationship smooths, smooths the way for faithful obedience. Let me say that again. A rule from relationship smooths the way for faithful obedience. Now listen to how she concludes this. Slowly I came to understand that making me straight wasn't the answer. There is no biblical command that I have to be straight. Here's the command. Through study, conversation, and prayer, I eventually arrived at a critical truth that sex wasn't something God discovered then fenced about with arbitrary, arbitrary restrictions, but something He made to teach and bless us. When His, here's the key, when His teachings were went against my instincts, denying my desires became a profound way of saying, I trust you. That's good stuff. We all struggle with temptation. Whether it's same sex, pornography, gossip, Uh, they're they're all on the same list. When My instincts go against God's teaching. Denying my desires becomes a profound way of saying, I trust you. I love you. I want to obey you. I want to serve you. See, that's the question. In this thing we call community, what is it in your individual life that's dragging you down? What is it that is causing you to sing praises with one voice and then and then being disobedient with the other voice? Man, we're all struggling. We're all in the same boat, guys. But truly trusting in Christ truly being in this progressive sanctification, truly living a life that's pleasing to him, says, God, all my instincts cry out for me to do this one thing. It's tempting. I desire it. And yet trusting Christ says, I'm willing to deny my desires, right? Because I love you. Because of everything you did for me. I'm willing to deny my desires and obey what you instruct me to do. Man, that's the essence, isn't it, of the Christian faith. That's the essence of a relationship with Jesus Christ.